podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 1st of March, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, even if you're not in America. Use your Now TV if you're outside the UK, and Brexit laws are denying you the opportunity to do so. You can also keep your data safe, which is very important in this day and age. So LibertyShield.com, use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it's March, which means it's spring. It's a lovely morning. The sun is shining. Birds are tweeting or doing whatever it is that birds do. Singing, I suppose. Uh, Everything is growing again, which is nice. The Irish countryside looks a delight this morning, I should point out, uh, which is a good change from some of what we saw in February. But winter's over. That's the main thing. Winter is over. Saying that, we'll probably get snow in the next couple of days. But some things don't change, and one thing that doesn't change is Manchester City Continuing to win football matches, that's 14 Premier League wins in a row, a 2-1 victory over West Ham on Saturday. This was by far, by far the toughest game City have had in this winning streak, though. West Ham really gave them a a trying test. City went 1-0 up, Ruben Diaz scored after 30 minutes, a great cross from De Bruyne, a good header. You might ask questions of Darren Randolph. The ball was quite close to him, but it was a header from eight yards with a good bit of power behind it. You wouldn't want to be too critical of the goalkeeper on that one. City struggled to really establish any kind of dominance in the game. They had most of the ball. They had 64% of the possession. But West Ham pretty much matched them shot for shot. City had 10 shots uh, shots in the game, three on target. West Ham had nine with three on target. Um, West Ham got level just before half time. A Jesse Lingard shot that was probably going in was tapped in on the line by Mikel Antonio after a good move that involved a good cross from Sufal. And to be fair, West Ham deserved to be level. They'd played some good football. They hadn't backed down from City. They'd missed a half-decent opportunity earlier on where Antonio had flashed a shot just wide. And they deserve to be level at the break. City win the game in the second half. John Stones with a, a really tidy finish from about 15 yards of a cutback from Mares. But again, West Ham just didn't let it go. They weren't willing to sit down. They weren't willing to allow, Liverpool, or to allow Man City to 
dominate the game. City did dominate possession, but when West Ham got the ball, they looked dangerous. And Issa Diop nearly won them a point with a, a header late on that just went wide. It was quite close to being, I think it was Suchek, who almost got on the end of the header to tap it home. But it was it was Diop's header that was, you know, it was a good chance on goal. All things considered, City looked good. They continue to pass the ball well. The movement is very good. They changed things up a little bit. Uh, Canseo and Rodri dropped out for this one. And Raheem Sterling started on the bench. He went with Walker, Stones, Diaz and Zinchenko at the back. De Bruyne, Fernandinho and Gundogan in midfield. The midfield functioned quite well. Though Fernandinho, you can tell he's aging. You can tell he's lost a yard of pace. And then Mares, Aguero and Ferran Torres up front. Ferran Torres just struggling at the moment for a bit of form. Struggling to find his way into this team. But it just shows the depth of the City team. The bench was Sterling, Jesus, Zach Steffen, Americ Laporte, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Benjamin Mendy, Joe Canseo and Phil Foden. There's about half a billion worth of talent there. I think the transfer fees for that group of nine was somewhere in the region of about 300 million. But realistically, Sterling's worth a lot more than they paid. Laporte is worth more than they paid. Jesus is worth more than they paid. Bernardo's worth more than they paid. And Phil Foden came through their academy and is probably easily a £50 million player now. Maybe, probably, probably more in truth. But, you know, it is a staggering group of, of players that they can just sit on the bench. Um, West Ham changed their shape, went with a 3 4 2 1. And for the most part, it did work really well. Like, they didn't allow City any really clear-cut opportunities. They didn't allow City to just play through them as they have with other teams. I thought Diop, Dawson, and Cresswell worked well as a back three. Diop's not normally comfortable in that right-side centre-back role, and he did get caught quite badly once by De Bruyne, but everybody gets caught badly once by De Bruyne. City remain top. They're now 12 points clear. They're next. A few games involve Wolves at home tomorrow, then Manchester United at home on Sunday. Then they've got Southampton at home. The three home games in a row before a trip to Fulham. Then they've got Gladbach in the Champions League and Everton in the FA Cup. But those four league games in March, I mean, three of them are at home and the other one's Fulham. It's it's difficult to see that they won't match the all-time Premier League record for consecutive wins, which is 18 held by themselves and Liverpool. It's hard to see that they won't get to that. The United game is the toughest one, obviously, especially given how United tend to play in games like this. But it's hard to see how City, how City don't run this to 18 games as a minimum. It's not the toughest run. Three at home, Fulham away. Um, for West Ham, they stay fourth. But it's their first defeat since they lost to Liverpool. Up next for them, they've got Leeds at home. Manchester United away. And Arsenal at home. Only the three games in March for them. Difficult enough games, though Leeds don't travel well to London. United away will obviously be tough, and it really just depends on what Arsenal turns up. 
Arsenal are very Jekyll and Hyde at the moment. You can watch them play and see two or three different teams in a half. At times they look confident, they play good football, the ball moves. There's players getting in the box, there's cutbacks. And at times it all looks very stagnant and clueless. For the first 20 minutes at the weekend, it all looked clueless. We'll get to that. But that's a difficult enough run for West Ham. And you do sort of... You are, I think we're all waiting for things to stutter for West Ham. The two games after those three are Wolves away and Leicester at home. So it's a difficult five-game run that will bring them into mid-April. They've done incredibly well to be where they are right now. Fourth in the league after 26 games. 45 points on the board. As I said before, if you'd given them 45 points at the start of the season for their 38-game season, I think they would have taken it. I think they would have taken it very, very happily. But they've just done brilliantly. Moyes is the manager of the year. I don't care what happens from here on. David Moyes is the manager of the year. He's just done such a good job with that group of players. Jesse Lingard has settled well. Craig Dawson, who had been dreadful for the past three years, performing very, very well for them. He's got all the players to buy in. He's put belief into them. He's obviously built it around that midfield pairing of Suchek and Rice. It's very, very promising for West Ham. Whether or not they get Europe, I think, is irrelevant. I think the fact is they'll establish themselves again as a top-half club this season, which is where they want to be. That's where West Ham see themselves, is as a top-half team. The hope is they don't get silly in the summer and overspend on players that don't suit how they want to play. That's what they've been guilty of in the past, buying players and then trying to Shanghai them into a different way of playing. They also shouldn't buy players to play a specific way. You want versatile players, adaptable players. Because with West Ham, you just don't know. I mean, Moyes could be gone by Christmas if things go badly at the start of next season. But all things considered, they'll be delighted. City will obviously be delighted they're running away with the league. They've won four games more than everybody else. Their defensive record is by far the best in the league. They've got the second best attack in the league. And the 12 points clear. So. It's not really a competition anymore. If they beat United, assuming they don't lose the next game, if they beat United, I think we'll just call it at that. They'll be 15 points clear um, with 10 games to go. Nobody's catching them at that point. Second game of the weekend, West Brom v Burnley, and we get the first VAR controversy of the weekend. West Brom went 1-0 up, Sammy J, oh, sorry, not Sammy J. Kyle Bartley with a header from a corner. Typical Big Sam corner, 14 men in the six-yard box, lump it in and hope for the best. And Bartley got on the end of um, Conor Gallagher's cross. Great start for the Baggies, really, really good start for the Baggies. But from there, it became a very typical Brighton game. 71% possession, uh, 15 shots, 6 on target, compared to 6 shots and 2 on target. 
Brighton were, without question, the masters of their own demise. They managed to miss not one, but two penalties in this game. Bartley's punished for a handball in the box. Pascal Gross steps up. Does a weird stuttery run-up that's not his normal run-up to a penalty. And lashes the ball off the crossbar. Tries to take the leather off the ball. Smacks it off the crossbar. And from there, they're just, their luck just deserted them. Completely and utterly deserted them. Shortly after, they won a free kick on the edge of the area. Lewis Dunk asked the referee, can he take a free, quick free kick? The referee blew his whistle. Lewis Dunk took the free kick. The referee then realized that Sam Johnston, the West Brom goalkeeper, wasn't in position because he'd been arranging his wall. And as the ball crosses the line, he blows his whistle again. Now, Dale Johnson of ESPN has once again done his usual Monday morning thread of VAR uh, shenanigans. So... He surmises that what seems clear is Mason didn't realize the keeper was still setting his wall when he gave Dunk permission to take the free kick. Of course, not not realizing this is no excuse. When the conversation begins, Mason likely cannot see the goalkeeper on his post as Dunk is stood in his line of sight. Dunk takes the free kick. As soon as the keeper moves... Mason realizes and lifts the whistle. Whistle blows just before the ball crosses the line. The first error is the failure to check the keeper. The second is the U-turn to allow the goalkeeper. He should have explained... <coughs> this is brilliant. He should have explained he wasn't aware of the goalkeeper and ordered a, retar- a retake. Uh, players wouldn't have been happy, but it would have been, would have been logical and we would have avoided the circus. As it's a goal incident, VAR has to come in to play to check it. The whistle is definitely blown before the second time. Sorry, the whistle is definitely blown a second time just before the ball crosses the line. Therefore, the VAR, Simon Hooper, can only tell Mason the ball is dead and a goal is impossible. Impossible. That's the VAR's only involvement. It's then the referee's decision how he restarts play. The VAR has no input. The sensible and fair decision is to allow for a retake of the free kick. Though technically the game could have started with a drop ball to the West Brom goalkeeper where play stopped. There's absolute nonsense. Now I know that what Dale is doing is sticking to the rules of the game. He's not biased in any way on this. But I'm sorry. That is utter tripe that that's what should have happened. Just because he blew the whistle a second time, how can the goal be impossible? If that's the rule, what what happens if someone just takes a shot and the referee blows the whistle as it's rifling its way towards the net? We've seen controversy before. It was a Crystal Palace game years ago. I can't think who they were playing, where a corner was taken by Palace. And as the ball was in the air, the referee blew the final whistle. That caused absolute murder. What would have happened if he'd waited for somebody to get the head on the ball and then blown the whistle before the ball went into the net? 
This is absolute nonsense. And again, it's not Dale that I'm suggesting is the issue here. It's the rule. If he blows the whistle to allow the free kick, I'm sorry, but play has started. You can't then change your mind. Lewis Dunk scored pretty much this exact same free kick against Liverpool. And it was allowed. Even though Liverpool's goalkeeper, I think it was Adrian, because Alisson had been sent off, it was Adrian, was still putting his wall together. Dunk took a quick free kick and the goal was given. Dale says, so what happened? Only Lee Mason can truly answer. It seemed he panicked when he saw the keeper's position and buckled under the pressure by allowing the goal after originally disallowing it. VAR was powerless to do anything but disallow it based on Mason's second whistle. Again, nonsense. Now, he's gone with a similar incident. Now, I'm going to guess it's not a similar incident. Um, it's it's a nonsensical decision. Lee Mason is the worst referee in the league. Let's get that out there. He is awful. Nuno Espirito Santo was fined, I think, 25 grand for uh, comments about how he's not good at his job and how he should be better. Lewis Dunk is probably going to get fined. That was a couple months ago, obviously. Lewis Dunk is probably going to get fined for his comments after the game about how the referee should have come out and spoken to the media, which is true. He should have. Um, note, Lee Mason was meant to be the fourth official in the Liverpool-Sheffield United game last night, uh, but was injured. Injured. Fourth official. What injury could you possibly have that would stop you acting as fourth official. An absolute joke, the protection these referees get. It's Brighton's own fault they lost. But that that goal should have stood. And that goal obviously gives them a draw. If you allow the free kick to be taken, I'm sorry. You can't just change your mind once the ball's on its way into the net. It's Sam Johnston's own fault if he's out of position. It just is. Brighton would miss a second penalty late on. Danny Welbeck. Why he was allowed to take the penalty, not quite sure. But he hit the post and then scuffed the the rebound. Brighton deserved at least a point from this game. They were the better team. They played the better football. They created the most chances. But once again, their inability to finish clear-cut chances and two penalty misses. There's just no excuse for that. Graham Potter needs to get them on the training ground and just like beat them until they can score goals. But Lee Mason is a disgrace. It's time for Lee Mason to go. He's not good enough to referee in the Premier League. He really is not good enough to referee in the Premier League. To allow the goal... And then turn around and say, oh, no, it's not a goal. It's just nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It was a perfectly fine goal. It should have stood. Brighton are 16th in the league. They're now level on points with Newcastle. Three points ahead of Fulham. They have Leicester City next at home. Then Southampton away. And then Newcastle at home in what is a very, very big game now. That's a game that's going to have quite a lot riding on it. The proverbial relegation six-pointer. They need at least two wins from those three games. 
they need to figure out what to do in front of goal. You cannot continually outplay your opponents, outcreate your opponents to that extent and lose games. You just can't. You can't afford to do that in this league. West Brom are 19th, but they've given themselves a six-point cushion on Sheffield United. So, you know, the race to not finish bottom is, is, is still ongoing. Up next for West Brom, they have Everton at home, Newcastle at home, and then Crystal Palace away. They're all winnable games. Everton are a much better team than them, but at home, you'd still have to give West Brom an opportunity. Newcastle at home is a game that they should be targeting to win. And Crystal Palace away, I mean, Crystal Palace away is destined for a nil-nil draw. Hodgie versus Big Sam. Current Crystal Palace manager, who's a former West Brom manager, versus current West Brom manager, who's a former Crystal Palace manager. Both former England managers. Neither very good. One sacked in disgrace. Oh, well, he resigned in disgrace, but he resigned because he had to. Resign so we don't have to give you a payout, because if we have to give you a payout, we're going to sue you. Um, yeah, West Brom, it looked, they're, they look dead and buried, to be fair, but if they continue to pick up a few points, you just don't know. There's 12 games left. You just don't know what could happen across the rest of this season, because it's been so weird so far that it's really hard to predict what will happen. Uh, third game of the weekend, then. Uh, we'll start rattling through these a bit quicker. Uh, Aston Villa went to Ellen Road and beat Leeds 1-0. Uh, Leeds just doing Leeds things. They outplayed Villa, but Villa took their chance. Villa probably created the, the best chances in the game. Um, Leeds had most of the ball. They had more shots, but Villa had more on goal. El Ghazi wins it with a five-fifth-minute uh, finish. Uh, Ollie Watkins cutting in from the left slips as he tries to shoot. El Ghazi's first touch is brilliant. His second is is even better, and um, that was it really. Ezri Konza was excellent from there. I thought Emmy Martinez had an excellent game as well in goal. A couple of good saves. This was a heavily rotated Villa team. Matt Target very lucky not to give away a penalty late on for wrestling Patrick Bamford in the box on a corner. But aside from that, aside from that, I'd suggest that Villa deserved their win. I think they did. I think they deserved this win. It's a tough place to go. It's a good team to play against. I think Villa deserved the win here. Villa stay ninth. Um, good for them to get a win, though, having lost the previous week. They will have Sheffield United away on Wednesday, then Wolves at home on Saturday, then a trip to Newcastle, followed by Spurs at home. That's their four games for this month. Tough run. They should obviously beat Sheffield United. Wolves Wolves at home will be a difficult game, just because Wolves make games difficult. Again, they should beat Newcastle away, but Newcastle are going to be scrapping for everything. And then that, that Spurs game is the big one. That's that's going to be a very, very exciting game. They'll hope to have Grealish back in the interim 
because um, they, they, they did lack a little bit of creativity in that game, it must be said. Uh, for Leeds, they are 11th in the table now. They've got West Ham uh, next Monday. That's an away game. Chelsea at home and then Fulham away. You know, they should beat Fulham, but they've travelled so poorly to London, you just don't know. The same thing with West Ham. Now, West Ham, based on current season, current form, West Ham should win that game. Again, Leeds not travelling very well to London. And Chelsea at home is going to be difficult because Chelsea are much improved. Chelsea beat them earlier in the season at Stamford Bridge. Uh, probably the best probably the best Chelsea performance of the season in the Premier League under Lampard. The return fixture there. So it's a difficult run for Leeds. Um, it doesn't get much easier. They have a quite a difficult end to the season. The last two games, not so much. Sorry, the last three games, not so much. But up till then, the only game you'd look at and fancy them to be favourites to win is Sheffield United at home on the 3rd of April. They've got City at home. They've got Liverpool. Sorry, City away, Liverpool at home, United at home, Brighton, Spurs. Then it's Burnley, Southampton and West Brom to finish season. Leeds will be fine, but they do have a very difficult run-in. Um, all things considered, they're going to be happy with where they are. Uh, Wolves won, Newcastle won to end Saturday's games. This was actually the best game of football played on Saturday, in truth. This was the best game of football played. Newcastle actually tried to attack. They actually created a bunch of chances. They had 19 shots in the game, 7 on target. Wolves had 14, 4 on target. Possession was fairly equal. This was a good game of football involving a lot of good players doing a lot of good things. We saw plenty of creativity from Almiron, from Jolington, from St. Maximum up front for, for Newcastle. Adama and Neto caused Newcastle all manner of problems. This genuinely was the best game on Saturday. Um, Jamal Lachelle's put Newcastle one up in the 52nd minute with a really good header. He was up for a set piece. Ball got recycled, played out to the right-hand side. Cross came in, a great header from Lachelle's. Puts the tune 1-0 up, but Ruben Neves made it 1-1. Uh, but I think the first headed goal of his career on 73. Really good header as well. Nothing Dubravka could do, in my view. Saw some people uh, criticise him. I, I don't think he could get to it. After that, there was a bunch of really good chances. Um, the best of them probably fell to Jolington. Now, Alan Shearer and Steve Bruce have both criticised Jolington for missing this chance. He beats the goalkeeper. Roman Sice makes a brilliant last gasp block of the ball behind the goalkeeper. I just think Sice does brilliantly. Jolington beats the keeper. I don't know that you can ask a whole lot more of him. But Steve Bruce came out after the game, criticised a bunch of players. Uh, criticised Jamal Lewis, um, criticised Jolington, just seemed to throw everybody under the bus. It was really, really strange. He should have been quite enthusiastic about how the team played. I don't think there was any need for it. But you can tell with Bruce that something's not right. That's not a man who's enjoying his job. He answered two questions from the media post-game. Two. And then got up and left. 
I think this was a fair result. Again, both teams played good football. If either had won, I don't really think the other could have complained. I think they would have felt a little bit hard done by because, again, an even game of football with both teams playing good football. Um, Really didn't understand Bruce's attitude after the game, if I'm honest. Wolves are 12th on the table. Up next for them, Man City tomorrow. Then Villa away, obviously. Then Liverpool at home. So a very difficult three-game run for Wolves. And it's a shame because they've obviously turned things around. They're unbeaten in five, three wins in those five. But they're still only 12th in the league. And now they have a difficult three-game run that could see them stagnate. Now, look, they could turn around and win one or two of those games without question. They could definitely beat Villa. They could definitely beat Liverpool. The way Liverpool have been playing, they could definitely beat them. But at the same time, it'd be no surprise if they lost all three. Uh, for Newcastle, they stay in 17th, three points above the drop. But, you know, they are now level with Brighton. Um, they're behind them on goal difference because they have a, a, an awful defensive record. They've got West Brom next. Massive, massive, massive game. Can't emphasize enough how important this game is for both teams. Newcastle have to win this game. Then they've got Villa at home and then Brighton away. Brighton, of course, beat them early in the season at St. James's Park and Brighton are level on points with them. They need to win against West Brom and against Brighton. They have to win those two games. Villa at home, again, it's a Friday night game. They have every opportunity to beat Villa. Every opportunity to beat them. There's no excuse for West Bro- for Newcastle rather over this next three games not to take a minimum of five points. No excuse at all. And in truth, they really have to because they've got a difficult run from there. They go Spurs at home, Burnley away, West Ham at home, Liverpool away. Arsenal at home, Leicester away, Man City at home. That's really difficult. Now, the last two games are Sheffield United at home and then Fulham away. And they may well need to win both of those games to stay up. The only chance they give themselves to be in a position where wins in those games keep them up is if they take some good points across these next three games. Because from April through to those last two games, it's really difficult. Really, really difficult. Spurs are a much better team than them. They haven't played like it, but they are. Burnley away is always difficult for a club like Newcastle. West Ham going really well. Liverpool should beat them at Anfield. Again, you just don't know what Arsenal you're going to get. Leicester should beat them at home. City almost certainly will beat them at St. James's, And then Sheffield United and Fulham. They've got five games that will define their season. The next three and the last two. The seven games in between, they've got to scrap for every single point they can get and hope for the best. Uh, on to Sunday. My eyes bled watching this game. Bled. It was horrendous. Fulham nil, Crystal Palace nil at Selhurst Park in just the perfect game of hodgy ball. It was an, an atrocity to watch. 
Fulham had 60% of the ball, 16 shots, four on target. Almost every one of them came from a set piece. The lack of open play chances in this game. Josh Maja had maybe two decent chances from open play. And that was pretty much it. Everything else was set pieces. Palace had three shots, none on target. At home, to Fulham. The lack of ambition from Roy Hodgson and his team was an outrage. An absolute outrage. I don't know how Palace fans put up with it. I really don't. Genuinely, after this game, I had to stop watching football for a few hours. It just annoyed me that much. It was such a horrendous game of football. Why I sat through it, I don't know. But I kept my record of not missing a game yet this season up. And this one, this is the closest I've come to just binning it off, I have to admit. It was just horrible. Fulham had some decent chances, but again, all from set pieces. Crystal, now, I will say, Crystal Palace lined up in what was meant to be a 4-2-3-1. It wasn't. It was a back six with three in front of them and Benteke looking lost up front. Nobody can tell me that Milojojevic and Riedewald weren't playing as auxiliary centre-backs. Nobody can tell me that they weren't. It was awful. Absolutely awful. Adam Ola Luckman played really well. He was the best player on the pitch. And I think he's a player who's definitely going to earn himself a move this summer, either to Fulham if they stay up or to another Premier League club. He is very, very talented. He can absolutely play in this league. Josh Madge is the same. Some good movement. His touch is excellent. He's very intelligent. Whether as a starter or as a squad player, he's going to be in a Premier League team next year. And he, like, if Fulham are clever, and they, even if they go down, they'll keep him. Because I think their buy options like ten million. It's a bargain for a player like him. He's very, very talented, and that connection of of, of him and Luckman is something that I think can can prove um, profitable over the next few years, uh, next few months and years. Um, for Palace, I just I don't care. They're thirteenth in the league. 12 points off Hodgie's dream of, of 45, 10 off the accepted 43. Uh, they've got Manchester United at home next. There's the game they'll show no ambition in. Then they go to Spurs. whoop de do They'll have one shot in the whole game, probably from halfway. And then West Brom at home in the game that Hodgie will deem winnable from the next three, but they'll probably get a draw. Um, I just don't care. I don't want to talk about them anymore. He annoyed me that much. It was so negative. How are you not having a shot on target at home? How? How is that possible? Fulham stay 18th. Uh, they stay unbeaten over the last run of games. Another draw. They love draws. 11 of them this season. Now level with Brighton for the most in the league. Uh, matches their number of defeats this year, which is nice. Um, they've got Spurs at home. Liverpool away. Man City at home, 
Leeds at home. That's a very, very tough run of games. I'd be surprised if anyone has a tougher run of four games than that. Um, They'll be confident enough that they can get something from Spurs. With the way Liverpool are playing, they've got an opportunity to go to Anfield and get something. And obviously they drew at Liverpool earlier in the season. Uh, I think they'll probably just write the City game off, uh, as probably everybody should. And then Leeds at home, like I've said a couple of times, Leeds are not travelling well to London this year, so Fulham will expect to win that game. It's a very tough run of games, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they took four or five points from it. It really wouldn't surprise me. They're a confident team at the moment. They don't look like losing. They certainly never look like losing against Palace. Uh, after that then, Leicester won Arsenal 3. Leicester went 1-0 up. Yuri Thielemans, after six minutes, broke down the right-hand side. Nobody dis- made a move defensively to try and stop him. And um, El Nenny really could have come across and made a tackle. Tierney was, was struggling to catch him. And El in a great position, really could come across and make a challenge, and just doesn't. It's very, very strange. Just doesn't bother himself to come across and make a challenge. Uh, he buries it past the goalkeeper into the far corner. It's a really good goal from Thielemans, but the Elneny thing has bugged me since then. I don't understand why he didn't. Um, from there, there's about 15 minutes where Leicester looked like they were going to win this game comfortably. They really did look like they were going to win this game comfortably. But at the same time, they didn't really create a whole bunch. And then they lost Harvey Barnes, and it looks like a, hor- a horrendous injury. Who knows what it actually is? Rogers came out and said afterwards it's going to be an operation on the knee. He might be out for six weeks. So that's not dreadful. That's not a really bad one. It looked at the time like that could be a season ender. And potentially take half of next season off him as well. Uh, it looked really, really bad at the time. But if it's not too bad, if it's six weeks, at least he's back before the end of the season. But Leicester got no luck at all with injuries over the last little while. I mean, their injury list is really piling up. They've got Perez out, Pryat out, Fafana. Vardy's going to miss, I think, the next game. James Justin's done for the season. Madison's out for a while. Barnes is out now for however long. Johnny Evans picked up a knock. Wes Morgan is out. <clears throat> it doesn't look good for Leicester right now, I have to say. It really doesn't look good for Leicester. They were very, very poor against Liverpool and got the win because Liverpool threw the game away. They were beaten in midweek in the Europa League by Slavia Prague at home. There's no excuse for that. And then they collapsed here. And Arsenal win, uh, end up winning uh, 3-1. David Luiz scores the first. A well-worked free kick. It was originally given as a penalty for a foul by Ndidi on Pepe. But the VAR reviewed it was outside the box. Uh, Willian takes the free kick. David Luiz with the header. Really nice goal. Probably a little bit against the run of play based on the first 40 minutes. But on the last 10 leading up to it, probably deserved. Just before half time, it's another penalty. Again, it's Ndidi. This time it's a handball. Alex Lacazette steps up, slots it away, no problem. 
And then early in the second half, lovely bit of play between Pepe and Odegaard. And it's Nicolas Pepe with the tap in after William squares it back to William with two assists, which, you know, it's the first time this season he's really made an impact for Arsenal in a positive way. But everything worked for Arsenal in this game after, I suppose, after the injury, really. I don't, I don't know what to make of Leicester. They're still third. And they still have a little bit of a cushion. I mean, they're four points clear of West Ham, five clear of Chelsea and six clear of Liverpool with 12 games left. But with all these injuries starting to mount up, it really, it really isn't good. I mean, Barnes, Madison, Justin, they've been really important this season. Barnes and Justin are their two players of the year. They can't afford to lose Johnny Evans because Fafana is out, Morgan is out, and then the other option they'd have would be Justin. They'd probably end up having to play Ndidi at centre-back, so they'd lose a lot in midfield there because their best squad midfielder, Dennis Pryat, is also out. It's really tough to see Leicester been able to maintain any decent level of form. They do have a favourable run of games coming up, which is, is what may keep them in the top four. They've got Burnley away, Brighton away, and Sheffield United at home. They're all games they should win. They're all games they should win. Then they get Man United in the FA Cup quarterfinals, and if Rodgers wants any silverware, that's a game they have to win. Um, they don't have the worst run in. Their last three are very difficult, but they've got a, so they've got. After the United Cup game, they've got Man City at home. Write that one off for now. Then it's West Ham away. Then West Brom at home, Palace at home, Southampton away, and Newcastle at home. West Ham away will be tough, but the five, the four after that are all winnable games. Then it's United, Chelsea, and Spurs. United and Chelsea away, Spurs at home. It's a difficult last three. They really don't want to be dependent on needing points from those last three. Because United and Chelsea will definitely be in the top four mix. You never know. Spurs could be as well. I doubt it. I think they'll probably be settling for Europa League. Which is a disaster. Let's be clear. It's an absolute disaster that that squad isn't going to get top four. But... Yeah, it's very, very difficult for Leicester. It really is difficult for them. The next three are all winnable, and there's that run of four that are all winnable. But with the injuries for the next couple, that's going to be tough. Then City and West Ham, they'll be difficult. And then that four-game run is, is where they can save their season and save the top four spot. I don't... If they were to collapse again and miss top four... I think you'd have to ask serious questions about the manager. I really do think you'd have to ask serious questions about the manager. Um, Arsenal then move into 10th where they've been kind of ping-ponging with Leeds for the last little while. They have Burnley away up next, then Olympiacos away in the Europa League. Then the Derby against Tottenham at home. Olympiacos at home, and then West Ham away. So, so three difficult league games coming up. Burnley away, Spurs at home, West Ham away. 
The two games against Olympiacos won't help, but it's a welcome distraction and it may well be their best path into into Europe for next season. They could find their way into the Champions League. That Europa League is mental. And they look pretty good in the Europa League. So, you know, you just don't know. But Burnley, Spurs and West Ham, that is tough. Then they have Liverpool. Then Sheffield United, then Fulham, then Everton, then Newcastle, then West Brom, Chelsea, Palace away and Brighton at home to finish the season. It's not the worst. Once they get past Liverpool, Everton at home is a game they should win. The Chelsea away game would be tough, but the last six isn't too bad other than that Chelsea game. They should finish comfortably in the top half. They could even finish in the top eight. They're only three points off Everton in seventh. Now, Everton do have two games in hand on them. But at the same time, it's not too bad. It really isn't too bad for them. Uh, Tottenham four, Burnley nil. Tottenham look good in this game. Probably the best they've looked since before Christmas. Gareth Bale put them ahead two, uh, two minutes in with a tap in. Harry Kane doubled that lead on 15. Good goal, deflected shot, didn't give Nick Pope a chance. And Lucas Moura made a 3-1 with a really nice first touch and finish. And Spurs were good value for 3-0. They really were. It was Again, it was the best they've played since before Christmas. They looked engaged. They were entertaining in attack. Bale, Son and Kane were all combining very well. Moura was making really good off-ball runs. The central midfield pairing of Hoysberg and Endembele Again, working really well and just regular on back at left back is huge for them. He's such a great outlet, adds so much to the game, and he's got a really good understanding with Son down that left side. <coughs> Credit to Jose. He even brought Deli Ali on, and Deli looked good. And he looked good in midweek in the, in the Europa League as well, but he rewarded him for that by giving him some, some minutes here. I'll be interested to see if he rolls out and end the Bele, Heusberg, Bale, Ali, Son, Kane at any point in the next couple of weeks. Because if that clicks, I think it could be special. Um, Bale made it 4-0. Really, really nice second goal for Gareth Bale. Son plays it to him. Takes one touch to cut back inside and just bends it into the corner. It's a really, really nice goal. And it's it's the first time Gareth Bale has looked like he's enjoyed football. Certainly this season and probably for the last couple. He seemed to be having a lot of fun playing with this team team and they looked like they were having fun they were a lot of fun to watch poor old Burnley never really stood a chance once that first goal went in that was it backs to the wall they tried their best they huffed and they puffed but all things considered it was just it was a pretty one-sided slapping um Spurs are eighth they're four points behind Liverpool in sixth five behind Chelsea six behind West Ham they do have a game in hand on all of those teams. I think that game in hand is against Villa, if I'm not mistaken. I think I'm right in saying that their game in hand is against Villa. And then Villa-Everton is a game in hand. Because Everton have played 24. They play Southampton tonight. That'll be 25. And their game in hand is Villa. And then Villa's other game in hand is Spurs' game in hand. So that's what that is. Um... Four Spurs, they've got Fulham on Thursday night. That's away. Then Palace at home. Hodge is definitely coming with all the buses. 
Then Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League. Then Arsenal in the Derby. Zagreb again, and then then Villa in that that game in hand. So it's a tough three games. Sorry, it's a tough four games. Fulham away won't be easy. They should win it, but Fulham are good at the moment. They're playing well. They're not losing. They're good defensively. Spurs will need to be on the game to get get the win there. Palace at home is a game they have to win, and they should win. But Hodgie will just do mad stuff. Nine at the back, one up front, doesn't care. The derby is massive. It's absolutely massive. Especially since they're close to the table, and they shouldn't be. Spurs are a much better team, much better squad, much better manager. Um, and, I, and I like Arteta, but I mean, there's no comparison with Jose. They need to win these next three games. And then that Villa game, it, it becomes very, very prominent in deciding whether or not they are maybe a top four team. Twelve games left, it's anybody's claim, but it's hard to see them making up the ground that they've got to make up. Zagreb, again, they'll be looking at the Europa League and thinking we can win that, like Arsenal, and they've got a better chance because they've got a better team, better squad, a better manager. They'll be again looking at the Europa League, thinking that maybe that's our path into the Champions League. And if they do, that saves their season. If they win that, that saves their season. Obviously, it's important silverware. It's a big trophy to win, and it's Champions League football for next season. To not get Champions League with this squad would be shocking, genuinely shocking. It would be the biggest failure of Mourinho's career. The biggest failure of his career if he doesn't get top four. He says the best. Success of his career is getting second with that United squad. I say the biggest failure of his career would not be getting top four with this squad. Um, For Burnley, they are 15th in the table. Two points clear of Newcastle and Brighton. Five points clear of Fulham. They'll be relatively happy with that. Leicester at home next. Then Arsenal at home. And then Everton away. So three difficult games, but two of them are at home. Now, in truth, They've never done particularly well at home to the bigger clubs. But Leicester are going to have a lot of players missing. Arsenal are so inconsistent, you don't know what to make of them. Everton should beat them at Goodison, but you just don't, again, you just don't know. You just don't know what Everton, and that game is a couple of weeks away, so who knows who will be injured by then. Uh, Chelsea nil, Manchester United nil. As expected, a dull, dour affair. There was more more chances than I thought, but nothing clear cut. 18 shots for Chelsea, six on target. But again, Mendy didn't have, or sorry, De Gea, he made one good save in the game. United had 11 shots, four on target. Mendy didn't have a really tough save to make. Everything was pretty much straight at him. Ollie came with the buses for the most part. There was some griping about maybe there should have been a penalty, maybe there should have been this. If I'm honest, Greenwood tries to play the ball with his arm as well. And I think it's Greenwood's arm that actually pushes hudson Adoy's arm into the ball. I think that's why it's not given. Um, neither side really deserved to win this game, if we're being honest. A nil-nil draw was more than fitting. It's what, the, what they both deserved. Um... United stay second. They'll be very happy with that. Up next for them. 
Palace away. It's a game they should win, but they did lose to Palace on the opening day of the season. Then City away. Then Milan at home in the Europa League. Then West Ham away. Sorry, West Ham at home. Then Milan away. And then the Cup against Leicester. So, league-wise, they should beat Palace. They'll expect to beat West Ham. The City game, maybe not. Again, they're going to look at the Europa League and think we can win that. They ha- they have to be looking at it thinking we can win that. They won it not that long ago under Mourinho. It's a competition a number of their players have good experience in. It's guaranteed Champions League football. So even if the league form fell apart, um, it, it would it would certify that they'll be in that competition next year. And then the FA Cup against Leicester. I mean, if Leicester have half the team missing, they'll United will fancy that and they'll fancy a semi final tie. So. Things are going well for Ollie at the minute. I think if he was to win a, a bit of silverware this year, now normally he obviously loses in semi-finals, but if he could win a bit of silverware, and if he gets second or third, I, I think you've got to be looking new contracts, surely. Um, now, people might scoff at that, but I mean, it is what it is. He got third last year, he could get second this year. If he wins some silverware, I, I think he probably will get a new contract. Uh, for Chelsea, they're fifth. Still unbeaten under Tuchel. Back-to-back draws. Still struggling for goals under their new manager. They've got Liverpool away on Thursday. Then Chelsea at home. Oh, sorry, Chelsea at home. Then Chelsea are at home to Everton on the Monday. And then Leeds. So three very difficult league games. Very, very difficult league games. At Anfield. Liverpool are not in good form. Liverpool have lost the last four home games in a row, but they did bounce back last night with a win. Everton will be just be a difficult game because Everton are a decent team. And again, going to Leeds, playing against that Leeds team is not fun. Then it's Atletico in the Champions League and Sheffield United in the FA Cup in a game they'll expect to win. And again, they'll be looking at the FA Cup and thinking, let's get a nice bit of silverware in here early for Tuchel and, um, and get things started. Both sides will be happy enough with the point, I think. I don't think either will come away from that game thinking that's a disappointment or anything like that. Uh, both sides remain unbeaten in five, along with City and Fulham. None of those teams have lost in the last five games. Um, funnily enough, only City have won more than one game in a row, though Everton have a chance to change that tonight. Uh, last game of the weekend was Liverpool 2, Sheffield United nil. Liverpool played quite well. Sheffield United had moments, but nothing really clear-cut. Adrian had two shots to save, both in the first 15 minutes, both relatively easy. Leicester, or Sheffield United got in behind Liverpool a couple of times, but Quebec made some some timely interventions. Liverpool were very, very good for spells. They created a lot of chances. Firmino should have put them 1-0 up. Firmino should have put them 2-0 up. Uh, he didn't put them any nil up, so it stayed 0-0 at half time. Curtis Jones um, with the first goal. Good cutback by Alexander-Arnold. A flick by Firmino. Drops to Jones and first time finish. Really good goal. Really well finished. A little bit of controversy because it did look initially as if the ball had gone out of play. But VAR showed that it had not. And then from there, Firmino danced through the defence. His shot was going wide, took a deflection off Brian, in past Aaron Ramsdale, who'd played quite well at that point, made some good saves. Liverpool were 
you know, their own worst enemy. They missed they missed chances they should have put away. Keeper did well, but they should have been putting those chances away. In truth, 2-0 flat at Sheffield United. If it had been 4-0, I don't think anyone could have complained. Um, it's great for Liverpool to get a win. They needed that win. They'd been dreadful of late. But, you know, playing centre-backs at centre-back is better than playing a midfielder with no positional sense centre-back. Who knew? Um, Liverpool had 16 shots, 8 on target, 61% of the ball. Everybody played well. To a man, everybody played well. Sheffield United can take heart, though. They did give it a good go. They caused Liverpool some trouble early on with the two big lads up front, McGoldrick and, and McBurney. Um, Ollie McBurney, though, for a big fella, falls over a lot. Falls over an awful lot. Uh, Ollie Burke came on and caused Liverpool some trouble as well. Uh, he looks like he's been on some vitamins. I'll call them vitamins, but you know what I mean. Um, doesn't look like a normal human being at all. As Trev Downey uh, said, he's like a he's like a garden shed with a turbo jet engine attached. Um, just massive, massive, and moves incredibly quickly. Minimal footballing ability, but a physical freak. Um, Sheffield United State bottom four defeats in a row now. They have Villa at home on Wednesday, then Southampton at home. Then Leicester away. So, again, look, they're all difficult games for them at the moment. They need a point to avoid tying Derby's worst ever points total. But they're still potentially on course for the most defeats in a Premier League season. Um, things, are, things are not going well. Things are not going well. And they could they could well do it. You know, just a, a, a couple of results going in their favour would be nice. Just to lift the mood a little bit. Then they get Chelsea in that cup game. That could be the end, of, or likely should be the end of their cup journey. And um, it could be a very sad last nine games. It really could. It's actually quite a difficult last nine as well, though. There's a couple in there they could win. Um, for Liverpool, they're sixth. It's their first win in five. It's probably their best performance I mean, they were decent against West Ham, decent against Spurs. Probably the best performances before Christmas, though. Um, they are one point behind Chelsea, two behind West Ham, six behind Leicester. So they're still in a good position to claim a top four spot. They've got Tottenham, uh, they've got Chelsea on Thursday night. Then they've got Fulham, both at home. Both winnable games. Leipzig at home in the Champions League. So three home games in a row. As things stand, that Leipzig game has taken place at Anfield, but we'll wait and see if it gets changed. Uh, and then Wolves away on a Monday night. Again, a winnable game. Liverpool have an opportunity here to string some wins together and get themselves back into the top four, get themselves back into maybe contention for second. Because... You know, the league is so tight, they're only seven points off second. And United aren't very good. So, it's possible. Anything is possible at the moment. <laughs> Anything is possible. Liverpool could well finish 12th. And I would not be surprised. If you told me now they were going to finish 10th or 12th, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't be stunned by it. Um, so, that's the nine games. There was a lot of bad football played. 
uh, there was a lot of bad football play. That Brighton West Brom game was a mess. Uh, Crystal Palace Fulham was horrendous. United Chelsea was just drab and dour and no, no, not, not at all. Not at all good. But there was some good stuff. City West, West Ham was a good game. Newcastle Wolves was a good game. Uh, Arsenal played good football in patches. The game itself was a bit scruffy. Spurs looked dynamite at times. And Liverpool played quite well. Um, but all in all, it was, it was a bit of a slog of a weekend. Uh, the slog continues tonight. Everton at home to Southampton. Everton come into this game with two wins in their last five, along with two defeats and a draw. Southampton, their form has just been horrific. Utterly horrific. Since beating Liverpool, they've lost to Leicester, lost to Arsenal, lost to Villa, got walloped by United, lost to Newcastle, lost to Southampton, sorry, lost to Wolves, drawn with Chelsea, lost to Leeds, and then this game tonight. So, I I expect Everton to win this game. I don't think Everton really have an excuse. They're missing Mina and Gabaman. Gabaman hasn't played all season. He may just be a theory of a player. Um, whereas Southampton do have some injury problems. They have no Kyle Walker-Peters, no Ibrahim Diallo, no Ariel Romeo. Taki Minamino's expected to miss out. Uh, Theo Walcott is out. Michael Obafemi is out. Will Smallbone is still out. So all things considered, Everton should win this game pretty comfortably at home with a full-strength team, Barmina. I think Everton, if they don't win this game 2 or 3-0, will be disappointed. So I'll go 2-0. Uh, we'll just point out, while I'm here, I will just point out, uh, I predicted Fulham New, uh, Palace to be a draw. I predict, predicted Arsenal to beat Leicester. I predicted Spurs to beat Burnley. Chelsea United to be a draw. And Liverpool to beat Sheffield United. I think I predicted a draw in the Newcastle Wolves game as well. And I predicted City to beat West Ham. So I think, I didn't get the scores right, but I think I went 7 of 9 this weekend. And I'm going to have a little brag about it because I've been appalling at this all season. But I'm pretty certain I went 7 of 9 this weekend. I thought Brighton had beat West Brom and I did think Leeds would win at home to Villa. But I'm almost certain I got the rest of them right. I should write these things down. I really should. I, I'd know then. I'll never know otherwise. I'd have to listen back. and I'm, I'm not going to do that today. Uh, anyway, we're going to wrap up quickly with the gossip and then get out of here for today. Uh, Inter-Miami owner David Beckham says he aspires to bring in players such as Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo to the Major League Club. It wouldn't surprise me if Messi and Ronaldo both end up in America. And where else would, would either of them go other than into Miami, the most, you know, well, LA Galaxy is the other glamorous team on the other coast. But, you know, into Miami with Beckham, it, it, it's probably very, very appealing. Bayern Munich have made a 45 million pound, 45 million euro bid for Kaladu Kulabali. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. Not even slightly. That's nonsense. Uh, AC Milan technical director Paolo Maldini wants to hold talks with Chelsea about the £26 million option to turn Fecchio Tamore's loan into a permanent move as they feel it is very high. That is some nonsense. 
Did nobody watch him at the weekend? He was really good for them. If they don't take that option up, that they're gifting Chelsea the player back, because Chelsea won't sell him. I don't think. I think Chelsea made a massive mistake in January letting him go on a loan with an option to buy. And unless Chelsea are foolish, they'll hang on to him. Now, if I'm Aston Villa and I need a centre-back to partner Ezri Konza because Mings just isn't very good, uh, I'm making a phone call and saying, look, if they're not going to give you the £26 million, we'll give it to you. We'll give you 30 And pair Konza and Tamori. That'd be a really nice pairing. Uh, Real Madrid have joined Manchester City and Juventus in showing interest in Sassuolo and Italy midfielder Manuel Locatelli. There'll be a lot of clubs in for him. He's a very, very good player. He's he's too good for Sassuolo. Belongs at a bigger club. Obviously came through at Milan. And that was the time they were being foolish and letting good players go. Um, Mikel Arteta is on the shortlist of Barcelona presidential candidate John Laporte. Laporta uh, to take charge of the new camp. No, he's not. Absolutely no, he's not. No, no. Based on what? His his year and a half of being just okay at Arsenal? No, not a chance. Paul Lambert could be in line to take over as manager of Celtic. That is the worst thing I have heard all day. I'm not reading any more of that. Uh, Liverpool manager says Mo Salah is a very important player and he hopes the 28-year-old will be at Liverpool for a long time. I think everybody hopes that, to be fair. Burnley and Newcastle are monitoring Portugal defender, Portuguese defender Nuno Tavares with Italian side Napoli, also interested in the 21-year-old Benfica player. He's a talented young left-back. Um, I, I, Burnley are not signing him, let's be very clear. Burnley are not signing Nuno Tavares. Burnley are going to sign Neil Tavern from Chesterfield or somewhere. Stockport, maybe. Um, Napoli is probably where he'll end up. Uh, Blackburn won 25 million for 24 year old England strike, English striker Adam Armstrong, whose contract runs until 2022. They're not going to get 25 million from, not with one year left in this deal. If they get 15 to 18, they'll be lucky. He's a very good player. He's having a good season, but they're not going to get that type of money. And finally, Everton manager Carlo Ancelotti says that the Goodison Park Club signed Abdullah Decore from Watford on the back of a suggestion from the club's director of football, Marcel Brands. Isn't that what his job is? Isn't his job to sign the players and make suggestions? It's just pointless lip service. Utterly pointless lip service. Uh, that is it. That is the show for today. There's nothing else. No, there's nothing else. That's everything. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Guy, as always. Thank you to Foxhound. I will see you tomorrow, where hopefully Roy Hodgson won't still be annoying me. He is still annoying me at this point. Still annoying me. That game was 24 hours ago, and he's still annoying me. I don't like you, Roy. You shouldn't have annoyed me. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.